Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. But when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing them, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours, they're not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. As long as he is with them, they can't. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day, they will fast. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. As they did, they they picked some of the heads of grain. And the Pharisees saw and said to them, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which was only lawful for the priest to eat. And he also gave some of that to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus was in the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see what he would do if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled shriveled hand, he said, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or evil? To save life? Or to kill. But they all remained silent. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and they began to plot along with the Herodians how they might kill. Jesus. But Jesus withdrew to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed him. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever the impure spirits saw them, saw him rather, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders every time not to tell others about him. 
Then Jesus went up a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 of them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority over the demons. Finally, Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his own family heard about this, they went to take charge of Jesus for they said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan, he said. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone into the house to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Hey, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? Jesus asked. Then he looked around at those seated among him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Episode three of Shook, the abridged version. Um, the 50 verses that it would have take, taken to share with you all of that, it would have been probably too much for you here today. But what I did do, even though I cut it down just a little bit, is I let you see fully all seven scenes. And what you can gather from this is that Jesus is still at it. Even this week, he's, he's at this work of shaking things up and unsettling people, starting with, with Levi, this tax collector, calling him to be one of his followers, and then going to a party at Levi's house with all these other sinners and tax collectors. We see Jesus chat challenging the Sabbath laws, which were no joke back in his day. People in the Old Testament had been killed for violating Sabbath laws, and we see Jesus allowing his disciples to pick grain, which is technically work, which you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. And we even see him trying to heal, successfully healing, this man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath, so much so that it, that it irritated the Pharisees, and they decided in that moment that they had to kill him because he was a lawbreaker. We see Jesus refusing to fast and refusing to allow his own disciples to fast. Call the keto police, everybody, right? wouldn't let him fast. And, and then we see him still healing people, and, and, and the crowds are in a frenzy. They just want to touch Jesus because they know if they touch him, they might be healed, and he's casting out demons, and, and he can't go anywhere without being crowded. And then, probably most unsettling of all, we see this encounter where Jesus' family comes to take him home because they think he's out of his mind. They, they think he's crazy. They're worried that he is going to be a danger to himself by the things that he's saying and doing. And so they come to try to stop his ministry, and Jesus disowns them. We're going to talk about all of that stuff later, but, but if there's a method to Jesus' madness, and there was a lot there, I know, here's the method to his madness in this episode. 
Jesus is busy not just doing the work of the kingdom, but he's busy destabilizing so many of the rules, the carefully established rules that had been established in the culture of his day which I think we all know is unsettling, right? When you start going against cultural conventions, that's unsettling enough. If you don't believe me, the next time you walk into a crowded elevator, just stand facing the wrong way. Don't turn and face the doors like everybody else, just stare at everyone. Someone might even call the cops on you. I mean, it's that unsettling for people. But, but the, the conventions that we see Jesus disturbing aren't just normal social conventions. He's actually getting to the heart of the carefully established conventions and rules that define who gets to belong. Now, I want you to think for a second about your own group. We all have a primary group. You probably have a lot of groups in your life, but I want you to think of your primary group for a second. Who is your primary tribe or your group, your closest group of friends? Um, Who is that group for you? I want you to think about them for a second. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a group of friends. Maybe it's coworkers. Uh, If this helps, think about it this way. If your life was the TV show Friends, who would be your Joey and Phoebe and Monica and Chandler and all the rest? I want you to think about who your group is. Picture their faces. Make sure you're clear on who they are. And then I want you to begin to think about some of the rules that not only describe, or some of the criteria, some of the boundaries, that not only describe who is in your group, but they actually define who is allowed to belong to your group. That thing better not fall. (laughs) You thinking about some of those rules for a minute? I can get this. There we go. Now, maybe you've never thought about rules, and you think that sounds kind of silly, but the the reality is we all have rules about who can belong, who's a friend, who's an insider, and who are outsiders, who who are the foes. Uh, Maybe in your life, um, the insiders are people who share your last name. They're your tribe. They're your group. It's it's your family. You're a family kind of person. I'm curious, are there any Garretts in the room today? Yeah, you, you got Garrett in your name somewhere, somewhere in your family? What, you got a Garrett over there? Yeah? Well, come on up. If you're a Garrett, come on up. You're part of the group. Get in here. I'm for real. Get up. We got the stairs here for you in front and everything. My people. I did not know. Get up here. Welcome. You are invited to belong right here. Thank you. Right here. That's right. Um, or what about this? Maybe, maybe for you, your group is defined by the team that you play on or play for, or maybe, maybe the team you root for, go blue, anybody? Uh, U of M, N- not Iowa, you guys went down. Any, any uh, University of Michigan fans? Dun, dun, dun. Anyone? You're like, if you make me come up state, I'm not gonna raise my hand. Come on, Who, come on. There's gotta be one, they won yesterday. Even if you're a bandwagon fan, you got, to, all right, come on, that's right, come on up here, yes. Come on up, my people. I mean, you're from Ann Arbor and stuff, so I mean, you got to be. Welcome, my people, yes, yes. Uh, Now, anyone at Baldwin in the house? Anyone from Baldwin? Anyone from Baldwin? 
No, we're, we're all from out of town. We aren't from here. Um, any, anyone from the new Baldwin Corridor? Anyone live there? Yeah, there's only about 5,000 houses in that corridor. I can't imagine anyone would be there. Yeah, come on up. You're in my neighborhood. You're my people. See, I, I love people from my neighborhood. Get up here. Yeah, clap for them while they're getting up here. These are my people. Or sometimes we define who is in our group. Those boundaries are defined by people who have the same profession or the same education or the same certification. Is there anyone here with a theology degree? Anyone have a theology degree? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the group. Welcome to the group. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. You're part of the tribe. Yeah, go Baldwin. Baldwin in the house. Anyone with a theology degree? Anyone with a theology degree? Oh, in the balcony. I mean, we can put a trampoline down and you can jump. We'll catch you. Um, no, you can just stay there. We'll wave to you. Uh, how about this? Any employees of Pathfinder Church or St. John School? That's I mean, because sometimes it's people you work with. Anyone who, who works here? Any of my coworkers want to come and be part of my people? Yeah, get over here. I see you over there. You guys all sit over there. That's interesting. I don't know what that's about. Oh, yeah, come on in. Come on in. My people, get over here. And be quick because I don't have all uh, message to do this. So. This is going to go somewhere eventually, I, I think. Get in here. Get in here. Welcome. Welcome. Yes, these are my people. We work together. We're part of the same tribe. I've got to make this space bigger. This is, this is getting crowded. i got lots of people here today. I love this. Welcome. Hey. Now, I don't know what else it is for you in your life. Yeah, that's right. Get in. Get in. Pack in. Pack in. We'll make this bigger. We'll make it bigger. All right. I, I don't know, I don't know who, how else you define it in your life. Maybe it's people who drive the same kind of car, they dress the same way, and almost wearing a Canadian tuxedo today. Oh yeah, get in here, Margie. Come on in, my people, get in here. Hi. Or, uh, you know, maybe, it, maybe, it's, maybe it's something else. But this is what we do, this is what we do. We, we pick criteria, we have these rules and definitions that we say, ha this makes up my people. You know, people who share my same last name or they share my same interests or hobbies, we root for the same team, we, we work in the same kind of field, and, and, and we create this space for people who are like us. Uh-oh, I just broke it. All right, well, here, someone hold this for a second. Don't flip it over, though, okay. Becky. All right. Um, we, we hold this, we hold this, uh, we hold this space for people who are like us, and we say, say, if you're like me in some way, not only does this describe how we're similar, but it actually becomes the definition for who gets to belong. You are my people. You clearly are not because you didn't raise your hand, right? And I want you to know that I take care of my people because this is how it works. So as VIPs, here's what you get today. After the service, go down to the cafe. Just tell the cafe staff that you're one of Dion's VIPs, that you're one of my people. We'll hook you up with a free drink and that's only for you. Not for you, it's for my people. My people who play by the rules, who fit in, root for the right team, have the right last name, work for the right place. This is how we do it. All right, thank you, my people. Make sure you get your coffee afterwards. Can you give them a hand as they go down? Don't fall. Can't believe I broke my thing. All right. So, so here's the thing. Here's, here's why all that matters. The first century world was a world that was filled with rules. There were all kinds of rules that dictated who could belong. So did you not only observe the Sabbath, but did you do it in all of the right ways? And there were all of these rules. Do you dress in the right way? Do you follow the right 
dietary guidelines? Do you adhere to all the right customs? Do you celebrate the right festivals? There was rule after rule after rule established in the religious order of the day that Jesus was walking around that that basically defined whether you were a, a good person, a VIP, or whether you were an outcast. And what we see here in this episode of Jesus' life is that he starts messing with the rules. He starts moving around the boundaries and perimeters so well established. And of course, everyone starts freaking out because when you work really carefully to establish rules and you preserve them and you build other rules to protect the rules and someone comes along and starts messing with the rules, rules about belonging, people freak out. But what we see from Jesus is that what he's doing is, is he's sending a message, and here's his message, that once there were all these rules about who could belong and who couldn't, but now Jesus' message is this, you're invited. He's a king who's establishing a kingdom. He's assembling members of his court, of his tribe, a, a group, and his message is, you're invited. There are no stipulations. You, you can take the, the, the you know, ropes away. There are no stipulations. You're all invited. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter how you dress or, or where you live. None of that stuff matters anymore. You are invited, no stipulations. Which is why we see Jesus inviting Levi. If, if you caught it in the, in the reading, Levi, did you catch what his job was? He's a denim maker. Someone's going to get that. Come on, that was worth a laugh. You guys know Levi's are… Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, no, no, so what was Levi? What was Levi's job? He's a tax collector. He's a tax collector. In the first century, tax collectors, they were not liked by their countrymen. And here's why. Because they were basically public officials who were given the authority to shake people down for as much money as they could get out of them, and then they would bribe their way to greater wealth and status. You know, it's basically like an ancient version of Chicago. I can say that because I'm from Detroit, so uh, we're the only place more corrupt maybe than Chicago. And Jesus walks up to Levi, and this is not a case of mistaken identity, Levi, Levi is sitting at the tax collector's booth. He's actively engaged in his corrupt vocation. And Jesus walks up to Levi and he says, follow me. And everyone's minds are just like, what? I mean, the fisherman, that was okay, but now this, this corrupt guy, you're inviting him to be one of your followers? And then Jesus makes it worse. He goes to Levi's house for dinner. Did you catch that part? Now, I don't know about, know about you, but, but growing up in the church, I was taught that when you start to follow Jesus, when you, when you decide to follow Jesus, or when Jesus calls your name, that you're supposed to leave behind your old life. You're supposed to leave behind your old friends and all those sinful ways, and then you're supposed to follow Jesus. But here we see Jesus, the rabbi, calling Levi, and then going to Levi's house where he's got this big party going on with all of his sinner and tax collector friends. Jesus, the rabbi, begins to party with Levi and all of his sinner friends. And the message from Jesus is so clear. Every, everyone is like, what is this guy doing? And they're irate. And Jesus' message is clear. Hey, I've changed the rules. The rules are different now in my kingdom. You're invited. There are no stipulations. doesn't matter if you're a tax collector. doesn't matter if you're a so-called sinner. You're invited. Anyone can come. No stipulations. Except maybe one stipulation. I want to dig into uh, that narrative at the dinner party. This is Mark chapter 2. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, right after calling him, 
from the tax collector's booth. He has dinner there next. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So there were lots of people who picked up on this invitation that they could be sinners and tax collectors and still follow Jesus. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, they were the former insiders, when they saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, what's he doing? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is so wrong. But on hearing this, you know, hearing his disciples being interrogated by the religious authorities, Jesus hears this and and he says directly to them, here's what he says, he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Say that again. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus has been going around with this wide open message. Everyone's invited, no stipulations, but here he gives us a stipulation. And the stipulation is, yes, you're invited, no stipulations, unless you're righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus, he's, he's assembling this kingdom, this court, a group of followers, a, a new tribe, a new community that is remarkably inclusive except in one way. Again, my sign's broken. Uh, now the sign reads, no healthy people allowed. You are all welcomed. Everyone's invited. No stipulations unless you're healthy. Jesus says everyone can belong, but if you're healthy, I'm not really that interested. Now, for some of us, we, this, should, this should like disturb us on a deep level because a lot of us sitting in this room, our stories are such that at one point in our lives, we were, we were sick, we were dysfunctional, we were really unhealthy, and we've made it a point to try to get healthier. I mean, that's a lot of our stories, right? Whether we're just talking about physically or or even talking about spiritually. I mean, some of us are like, hey, I went to rehab to try to get healthier. Or I've been in counseling trying to get healthier. Or I've been called out of of some sinful behavior that I've tried to leave behind, some destructive behavior that's been hurting people. And and I've been working really hard to leave that stuff behind to to, to try to get better. A lot of us sitting in this room have fought hard fights, and we've taken on new disciplines, and, and we've stretched ourselves to try to become people who, who are healthier, who honor God with our lives, and, and listen to His commandments. And not only that, but, but a lot of us have, have gone out of our way to establish patterns and cultures in our family of, of people who are, who are healthy, and, and patterns that are healthy, and people who honor God and love God and serve God. And yet Jesus today would say to us, hey, everyone's invited, no stipulations, unless you're righteous. Healthy people aren't allowed here, no no healthy people allowed here. See, according to Jesus, he says you have to be sick. But actually more nuanced than that, here's what Jesus is encouraging us to acknowledge. This is what Jesus is actually inviting us to do, not to become sick, but just to know we're sick. Jesus says, no, you're sick. Just, just, just acknowledge for a second that you're sick. At that dinner party when Jesus announced in front of everyone that he is the doctor and he came for sick people, everyone who was listening would have understood what he meant. 
The tax collectors and Pharisees would have looked at me like, okay, you're the doctor and you're here for sick people and that's why you're here with us. I guess you're saying we're sick. And you can bet that a bunch of them were so offended by that. They're like, "Uh uh-uh, not me, buddy. I don't know who you're calling sick. But there were also a few who were there, more than a few, who heard that pronouncement and they looked inside themselves and they said, okay, fair enough. But if you're the doctor, what do you have to heal me? And meanwhile, the Pharisees, they're sitting outside of the party, right? They, they think they're the VIPs. They're not like everyone else. And they're watching the party from a distance. And they hear Jesus say this and, and that he's there for the sick people. He's the doctor. And they're also offended. They say, how dare you? But even in the Pharisees, there were a few who got what Jesus was saying. And they said, you know what? If you're here for sick people, then I guess that means you're here for me. So what can you do to bring healing into my life. See, Jesus is inviting us to know that we're sick, which isn't always an easy admission, is it? In fact, this terminology sometimes has been used, and maybe it's even triggering you right now uh, in a triggering way. Maybe someone's used these very words to shame you before. Maybe someone you loved has looked you into the eye, looked you in the eyes after they've discovered something about you and they say, you're sick. That's not how Jesus means it. And I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, but here's what I want you to know, that, that Jesus has redrawn the boundaries of who gets to belong. And it's no longer Pharisees on the inside and everyone else on the outside. Now for Jesus, the message is clear. There are no healthy people. That's why they're not allowed. The only two kinds of people there are in the world are the kinds of people who are sick and they're willing to acknowledge it and there are those who are sick and they're in deep denial about it. Which is actually true of us here at Pathfinder. See, here at Pathfinder, we say that we're a place of unconditional acceptance. We want to be a place where anyone feels welcome, where you are invited to belong, no matter what. But there is one stipulation. There is one exception. There is one kind of person who really I'm not that interested in having belong here, frankly. There's one kind of person who will never feel welcomed or accepted here in this place, and that is the person who struggles with what we willingly say about ourselves, that we are imperfect people, imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. That that's not just other people, that's us too, that we're imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. If you can't accept this about yourself, that you're an imperfect person, then you're never going to feel accepted here. And I'll tell you why. Because you're going to look around you each week as you're sitting here and you're going to see people maybe that you know from the community, you know them from work, you know them from the neighborhood, uh, you know a little bit about their story or you're just going to kind of perceive them or watch them and you're going to go, man, these people are a mess. What are they doing here? Or even worse, uh, you'll, you'll especially hate, if you can't accept this about yourself, you're going to especially hate how imperfect your pastors are. You'll be like, is this the best this church could find? Seems like a big church. And you've got these pastors who, they're a mess. They're a train wreck. They talk about how they, they don't have perfect marriages and they're in counseling and stuff's not right and they get angry and they've got struggles. And like, really? You're going to hate that about this church, that you've got such imperfect pastors. And most of all, Jesus in his words, his actions, 
His teaching, this teaching that we are all people who are so sick, we're terminally ill, we are dying, and our greatest need is that we we need to be brought to life, or, or to give you a different metaphor, that Jesus did not come into the world to do a little remodeling, to do a little redecorating, to make our lives a little prettier, a little better. He came to tear the structure down, to rip out the foundation, to start all over, because the house is diseased and broken and crumbling. See, if you can't accept this about yourself, that you're an imperfect person, then you'll never be able to accept the Jesus we teach here, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who comes to offer you life, that comes to rebuild your life from the foundation up. But most of us, we don't really want to own that we're imperfect. And, And so we play games about this stuff. We either, on one side, just kind of erase any idea or notion of imperfection or sickness from our vocabulary. You know how this works? We just kind of stop talking about anyone being imperfect. We kind of throw away the ideals and we just say, no, 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 everything's just different and it's just beautiful and just affirm whatever is and there is no distinction, there is no right or wrong, right? Let's just stop talking about imperfection. Let's stop talking about sickness. It just makes people feel bad. Let's just throw that all away. Or on the other side, what we do because we can't handle this is is even worse. This is what we do as Christians so often is we still talk about imperfections but never our own kind of imperfections. We still talk about sickness but never our own kind. And so we crusade against different kinds of sickness out there in the world and we rail and rally against different kinds of sickness but we conveniently cherry pick passages of scripture to only talk about other people's sickness, never our own. Recently, I was meeting with a family who has a, a child who came out to them as gay, and, um, and they're just kind of asking for prayer and direction on how to be good parents, and um, they, they shared with me that as they were sharing this with some of their friends, some of their Christian friends, more than one set of Christian friends said to them, well, you really have to stop your child from doing this because you know if they go down this road, they'll go to hell. And I'm not going to pretend that there aren't some Bible verses that we really have to wrestle with, with deep theological understanding. But here's, here's what's shocking to me about that. Here, here's what sh- shakes me about that, that all of those Bible verses also name a whole bunch of other behaviors that might send us to hell, if that's what they say they might send us to hell. Also, um, things that we never talk about in the church, things like people who are gossips, people who are quarrelsome, I mean, churches are filled with quarrelsome people, right? I'm one of them. You probably are too. Uh, people who eat or drink too much, people who are greedy and don't share their wealth. Those people are also all named in those same passages. But what do we do? We, we cherry pick and we say, let's not talk about that kind of sickness. Let's not, let's not talk about the sickness of greed. Let's talk about this sickness. Let's acknowledge that there's still imperfection, but ignore our own and rail against other people's. And I'll tell you, either one of those approaches, just erasing the notion of sickness or highlighting certain ones while we ignore other ones, both of those approaches are out of step with the way of Jesus. And I hope you're beginning to see how Jesus actually approached these things. Jesus says that his whole kingdom, his whole tribe His whole group is bonded together by a simple admission, and the admission is, we are sick. And again, I I know that this is kind of a, uh, a triggering thing. Back to that. 
that a lot of us have been shamed because of our sickness. But, but here's what Jesus has done. As he has rearranged the boundaries, as he has uprooted so many different standards, and, and that's what we see him doing in this episode, what Jesus has done is he has taken the things that were once a cause for our exclusion, and he's made them the very criterion of our belonging. Jesus now says, you know what? No healthy people allowed. Not in my group. Not in my group. Instead, if you want to belong, you got to acknowledge that you're sick. See, in our culture, when someone's sick, when, when you're really sick and you've got a contagious disease and you go to the doctor and they figure that out, what do they do with you when you're really sick and you're really contagious? They isolate you. They quarantine you, right? And then people come in with masks and, and they're covered up and they won't touch you and, and your family can't come in because you've got to be removed from everyone else so your sickness doesn't make everyone else sick. But here's what Jesus has done. He's reversed this whole dynamic. And he says, I, I know that, that when, you, when you acknowledge that you're sick, you're afraid that you're going to be quarantined and isolated because no one else wants to get your sickness. But Jesus says, here's what actually happens in my kingdom, in my community, in my tribe. When you acknowledge you're sick, that's when I, the great physician, come running toward you, holding in my hands the power to heal and not just me, Jesus says, that's when all of my true followers come running toward you as well because they're not afraid of sickness. They're also sick. They're not afraid of contamination. They're also contaminated, and I've got enough to heal all of you. See, what once was a source of shame and was scary and would mean our isolation, Jesus has turned into the very basis of belonging in his kingdom, in his community. It starts when we know we're sick, and, and when you know you're sick, here's what's profound about that. When you know you're sick, it's also you can know how much you're loved. Jesus ran into our contaminated, diseased, and dying world, and he ran toward us to bring healing, and he went to a cross, and he laid down his life to die for all of the things that are killing us, and he came back with new life so that we might be made whole, that we might be made well. This admission that we're sick, it's not anymore a source of shame or judgment or condemnation. It's a statement of reality, and when we acknowledge that, then we'll see Jesus run toward us, and his true followers run toward us, and we will finally experience what it is to be loved and to truly belong. Now, I don't have much time, I, but I wish I could go to the, to the other story that bookends. We start with Levi and the sinners in the banquet, and we end this episode with this weird thing where Jesus' family's coming to take him home because they think he's crazy, and they're trying to, like, you know, call, hey, Jesus, let's retire early. You need to come home. You're going to get yourself hurt. And they knock on the door, and someone says, Jesus, your family's out there. And then he responds in this way. Remember this? And he says, he says, my mother and brother, who are those people? And, and he points to the people in the room. What I want you to understand here on the, on the backside of this episode is this is not primarily about Jesus disowning his own family. He doesn't disown them. We see him connected with his family later on in the Gospels. What this actually is, is Jesus showing us how expansive his invitation to belonging is. See, what Jesus wants you to know today is, yes, you're invited, no stipulations, except this one, you've got to know you're sick so you can know you're loved. But the belonging he's inviting you into 
It's more than just being a follower. He's inviting you to be family. See, Jesus is not calling you to be a subject or a servant or a minion. Instead, Jesus is calling you to be a brother or a sister or even a mother. The invitation from Jesus is so far beyond anything we could ever imagine. Knowing us fully as we are, as people who are imperfect, people who are sinful, people are sick, and yet Jesus says, you're the people I came for. And so today I want you to know, whoever you are, whatever sickness, disease you suffer from, you're invited. No stipulations. You're invited to belong not just to the tribe of Jesus, but to the family of Jesus. No stipulations except this one. Just know you're sick. And don't be afraid of that admission. Because when you acknowledge that, then you'll be able to experience how much you're loved. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for demolishing all of the social conventions that kept people like us, sinful, imperfect, sick people, continually on the outside looking in. Thanks for uprooting all of those old ways and customs that shamed people for their sickness, that isolated them and separated them and treated them as outcasts. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be our physician to bring us the healing and the belonging and the love that we so desperately need. Father, um, I, I pray that you would take away the shame from this admission that we're sick, that you would take away the fear of judgment, you would take away the ways that that has been you know, leveraged against us in a, in a hurtful way, that you would just remove the sting of that and that you would help us begin to say, with a sense of truth and authenticity and just a matter-of-fact spirit that we are people who are sick, but that's okay. Because you've sent your son into the world to be our doctor, to be our healer, to be our savior, to gather us up together and to make us members of your family. Help us grapple with this, help us own this. And help us live our lives now with greater humility toward one another as we try to live authentically as your family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would say that we intentionally box people out of our lives, whether that be because of fear or self-preservation. So why don't you stand now and confess this with me. Lord, we attempt to do life apart from others and you. We have failed to do the work it takes to be inclusive. Reveal to us the need for authentic community. Show us that going it alone is not the answer. Forgive us, gracious Lord. 
And today we gather as a community of people in need of forgiveness and healing, just acknowledging that truth. And Jesus, true to form, offers himself, not just to give us a cure or give us medicine, but, but to be the cure. And so in bread and wine, we're gonna receive the body and blood of Jesus. The very thing that we need to be made whole and, and well. And we don't do that simply as individuals. Notice we, we do this as a community, as a family. Because the one thing that binds us all together is that we are all sick. We are all broken. And that's completely okay because Jesus came not to find people who, who think that they're healthy. That's it's a myth anyway. But he came to find people like us. People desperate for healing. And in this meal, he offers us himself. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. In the same way, also after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Now do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I invite you to have a seat. We're going to have a time where we get to sing. Maybe you just get to be quiet. But as the ushers direct you forward, you're invited to come. There's other people, fellow people who acknowledge that we're, we're sick. We're in need of a whole life healing. And I invite you to come to Jesus, the one who has, the one who is everything that you need. Welcome to his table. Amen.